0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from John 17, and in your new church Bible, that's page 960. I'll just be reading the first five verses. John 17, 1 to 5. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Kevin. I have the great privilege of uh, opening God's word together today. It is good to be here. We praise God for all that he has been doing among us. I'm glad there's some empty chairs. That was a fear because there's more people who, come who need to come to know Jesus and be joined to his church. We are beginning a sermon series this morning in uh, the 17th chapter of John's Gospel. For the last uh, number of years, uh, two and a half years uh, Cornerstone, we have been working our way through John's Gospel, and uh, it has taken us 53 sermons to do the first 16 chapters, and now we're going to really slow down. We're going to really slow down here in John chapter 17. Why slow down here? Well, these are truths in John chapter seventeen that are vital for us they're vital for us at this stage of our uh church's life life and this is it, th- these are weighty truths they're meaty truths um, and and they're truths that are important for our our community life they' are they're, they're uh, uh, truths that we need to marinate in the The topics of John seventeen include uh Things like um, the incarnation of Jesus, the glory of God, the sovereignty of God, predestination, our final destination, mission, the unity of the church, our calling as the church, the holiness of uh, the church. And so these are truths that are vital. They're weighty. They're needed. They're necessary for us. The other reason to slow down here is because John 17 is the crescendo of john's gospel the the um the action has been um has been moving throughout john's gospel and it's been slowing down and slowing down and slowing down and now we come to john 17 which is really the the uh, i don't know much about music but the crescendo right is where the the fortissimo i think it's called where it just where it builds and this is this is the point and this is jesus praying this is a prayer of jesus to his father and it's a prayer of jesus to His Father for us. And so here in John's Gospel, in John 17, we have um, the opportunity to to peek into the relationship between Jesus and His Father. We have the uh, opportunity to peek in and and understand what's on Jesus' heart for us. In the moments just before He's going to die, before He would give His life for the church, we have the opportunity now to, to know what's on His heart for the church. What does he want for the church? What does he want to pray forward? What are his priorities? What's in his heart for us? The previous three chapters are Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. And he gives it the longest um, teaching block we have in all four Gospels. As Jesus, in what we call the upper room discourse, as Jesus prepares his followers to be sent out into the world. And Jesus then follows that out, um, and as he often does, and as the apostles do in, in later in the New Testament, as they teach, and then they pray it forward. They pray what they've taught. And so now Jesus has taught his disciples all that it's going to mean for them to be his ambassadors, his sent ones into the world, and now he's praying that forward. He's going to pray it forward. And so that's why we're pausing, and for the next two months we'll be in John chapter 17. Uh, John 17 opens with uh, the, Jesus spoke these things, which is that upper room discourse, that preparation of his disciples to be sent out. And then he looks up to heaven. I love that. I love that there's some expressiveness. I, if I could uh, offer something to us, I think that we need to, uh, as uh, mostly white folk, probably need to learn a little bit of expressiveness um, in, our, in our relationship with the Lord in our In our church experience, we need to probably learn to be a little bit more expressive it 's not going to kill you um, sometimes the the glory of God and the the power of God um, comes on us in such a way as that like we we're like knocked down and we've got to take a knee right but but more often and so our posture then follows our heart in that way, but more often our heart will follow our posture and so sometimes we need to say, like the psalmist. Take a knee. Oh, my soul, lift up your eyes to the heavens. Where does your help come from? That's what the psalmist is doing. Sometimes we need to, our heart is going to actually follow our posture. And we need to, like, speak to ourselves and say, Take a knee. Look up. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your hands and sing, the psalmist says. Sometimes our heart will follow our posture. And so if we're, like, reading the scriptures, kind of, like, closed off, You'll find actually that you're not as receptive often to the things of God as when you, as when you come with open hands Lord would you I want to receive from you today? I want to look up to you, you are my help. I want to lift up my eyes, lift up my gaze. And so there's just a little let's learn to be expressive. Let's learn to have our hearts actually follow the posture of our bodies. He says, Father, Father. So Jesus prays to God. Six times in this chapter, he addresses God as his Father. The the remarkable thing is that he invites us to do the same. In fact, he instructs us to do the same. When uh, Jesus, uh, when his, his disciples ask him and say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? He says, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, which is revolutionary, that we could address God as a Father. As a father. Romans 8 says we have not received a spirit of fear. To fall into slavery. But we've received the spirit of adoption. Where we can cry Abba. Father. We can approach God not as some distant deity. Not as some harsh judge. But we can come and say Father in heaven. Father in heaven. Father in heaven. He says Father the hour has come. The hour has come. These are loaded words in John's gospel. The hour, or the, the hour of Jesus. Um, all throughout John's gospel, he's, he's talking about his hour. If you want to write down a few um, passages, you can look up two verse four, seven verse six, seven verse eight, seven verse thirty, eight verse twenty. And all in all of those passages, he's talking about his hour, and he says, "My hour is not yet come. It's not yet my hour." The hour is something that was in the distance, in the distance that was yet to come. He begins in chapter 12 to transition and says, It's my hour, it's through my hour that I'm going to glorify my, my Father. And he, and he clarifies that his hour is the hour of his death. It's his finest hour. It's not a literal 60-minute hour. It's his finest hour. It's his moment. It's his time to shine. It's his hour where his glory is seen most clearly, he says in John 12 is in his hour and he's saying here it is my hour has come the hour has come father and so jesus knows that knows what's coming he knows that his death is coming that he is he's he, he's come to this hour for this point he says that in john chapter 12 it's for this very hour that i have come to the world the the very reason i have entered into the world is to come to this hour my finest hour the hour of my death i've come to die to be the savior of the world. He knows it's coming. But he's not fatalistic about it because he prays about it. Which is interesting. It's a little bit different, I think, than how we often um, think about things and when we enter into prayer, right? Is when, when something is certainly going to happen, usually we're, well, I don't really have to pray about that then, I guess. None of you prayed that the sun would come up this morning, I doubt. Although it was gorgeous. Anyone up this morning? It was glorious sunrise this morning. We don't pray about those things that we know are going to happen. We pray about those things that are in doubt, those things that we want to happen. And so in this uh, in these verses of uh, John's gospel, I want to uh, of Jesus' prayer, I want to see ask a couple of questions. The first is why pray? So why is he praying when he knows it's going to happen? He knows his hour is coming, and yet he's praying about his hour. He's praying to glorify God in his hour. So why is he, why is he praying? And we're going to see some differences, I think, between how uh, Jesus and why Jesus prays and why we pray. And we want to be shaped more and more into the image of Jesus. We're going to see what to pray for and then how to pray. So first of all, why to pray, then what to pray for, and how to pray this way. So Jesus really here is saying, Father, the hour has come. Now glorify me. And If you compare that with John chapter 12, you realize what he's saying is, Father, would you send me to die on the cross now? He knows it's coming. It shows us something about why he prays in contrast to why you and I often pray. It's going to happen. It's planned, in fact, before the foundation of the world, we learn in Acts chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 1. That, that the, the hour of Jesus was not like a plan B. It was planned before the foundations of the world. So why pray if it's going to happen? Why pray when it's in doubt? To partly answer that question, I want to imagine we have some students, uh, college, university students in the, the room this morning. I want to, uh, you to imagine, and maybe you were in this spot at one point in your life, and you're filling out an OSAP application you're going to school and uh, you need some financial assistance in order to make ends meet and so you you fill out uh, a loan application an osap application now imagine the you know this de- this uh, this form has a lot of personal details on it you've got to kind of open up and reveal you know your whole life to um to whoever it is that's reading these uh, these applications now, imagine you receive a response from the financial officer who's read your application and says, yeah, um, I've, I've read your application. I'd like to come down to Niagara. I'd like to meet with you. And, and so you, you meet them at Starbucks, and you, uh, you, you sit across the table from them and say, well, tell me." And they, the, she says, tell me about yourself. I'd like to get to know each other. And you're like, okay, what, is, what does this have to do with my financial aid application? she said nothing i just want to be friends you'll probably think well that's not really why i mailed in the application wasn't wasn't here to make friends wasn't i've got enough friends don't need no friends don't need friendship from you just need some money friendship with you is not what i'm after how often do we treat prayer like mailing in the application. God, I need this from you. This is what I want from you. I've got my list of what I need you to do, the circumstances I need you to change, the people I need you to change, the gifts you need to pour into my life. I've got the list, and I'm mailing it in. And God says, let me tell you about myself. Tell me about yourself. What's on your heart? Let's get to know each other. We pray when we want things. When when our circumstances are in doubt or our circumstances are different than we want, we pray to conform God to our own agenda to make sure He knows what's on our heart. Jesus prays to conform His heart to God's agenda. We pray to get God to give us things. Jesus prays to find God in those things, to find God glorified in those things. I want to glorify you in these things that are happening. Jesus prays to know his Father. He doesn't mail in the application. And the invitation, friends, this morning is not to mail in the application. Not to mail it in, but to hear Jesus knocking. Revelation three twenty, Jesus says to a church of Christians, says, Behold, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. Would you open the door? Let me in, and I'll come in and eat with you. I want to be friends with you. I want to get to know you. I want to I want to hear what's on your heart. I want you to know what's on my heart. Let's be friends. That's the metaphor for prayer. Interaction, intimacy, knowing God. If a loans officer says, sorry, I don't have any money for you, but we can be friends, you're like, what good is that? God says, let's be friends. Let's be friends. One of the things that struck me in my scripture reading this summer is, uh, especially in the Psalms, and then in the Gospels, as we're reading about, reading about the life of Jesus, is how often either the psalmist or Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus, every, almost every time we read about him, and then I looked it up, and it's, it is true, almost every time we read about Jesus going to pray, he goes up to a mountain to pray. The psalmists, too, are saying, let's, let's ascend the mountain in prayer. Was, uh, my, my, my family and I were, were driving um, not through mountains per se, but through the hills of Pennsylvania uh, a, a week ago or so, and uh, there were some great vistas, great views. And you could, if you get to the top of the the hill, I guess maybe it is a mountain, Appalachians. I'm not, I'm not even sure. And you could, you could see for miles. You could see where you've been, and you could see where you're going. It's a place of clarity. It's a place the mountaintop is a place of clarity. The mountaintop is a place of security. Right? Let's take that hill. Cuz if we got the hill, it's going to be it's, it's much easier to defend. If you're fighting an uphill battle, it's difficult. The the mountaintop is a place of security. It's a place of majesty. It's a place where our hearts are thrilled. A place of security and clarity and majesty. Prayer is opening ourselves to God, to be filled with the beauty of who God is, the majesty of who He is, to rest in the security of who He is and who He is for us, and to have clarity about who we are and where we've been and where we're going. Prayer is the mountaintop. Too often we pray in the valley. On the mountaintops of life, we're on our own. We're self-sufficient. Things are going good. I'll call you when I need you, God. In the valley it's when we get desperate. The invitation isn't to not pray in the valley. The invitation is to pray on the mountaintops and in the valley. Too often we think of prayer as medicine, whereas Jesus looks at it like food. It's not a vitamin supplement. It's a whole new diet. We pray when we blow it. But, Je- friends, Jesus never blows it, and he's praying all the time. So why pray? Why pray? To know God. To be friends with God. To interact with Him. To know His heart. To see His glory. So what to pray for? Secondly, what to pray for? Jesus asks for a lot of things in this prayer. He, asks for, he prays for His disciples. He prays for unity. He prays for truth. He prays for holiness and protection. All kinds of things. But not first. First, He prays for glory. He prays for glory. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. I have glorified you and I will continue to glorify you. And I want to be in your, with you in your glory. He's saying, make me savior of the world. Father, make me savior of the world. Now, I don't recommend praying that prayer. And at least not out loud. You are You're not the savior of the world. And yet, Though we can't pray exactly what Jesus prayed, he does follow the same model of prayer, of the, of the, some of the great prayers we read in the Scripture. There's two great prayers in, in the letter of Ephesians. And the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. He prays not for ability, not for power, not for strength, not for the change of circumstances, but for a sight of the glory of God. And the, the prayer that begins in Ephesians 1.15, he says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts would be opened so that you would know the hope to which you've been called, that you would know the glorious inheritance that is yours in Christ. There's another prayer in chapter 3. It begins around verse 14, I think, and he says, I pray that you would know how high and long and wide and deep is the love of Christ, and that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. I pray that you would be filled with all the fullness of God praying not that you'll make a lot of money. I'm praying that you'll be filled with God. I pray that you'd know the glory of His love, just how massive His love is for you. It's, it's long and it's high and wide and deep and it never go, stops. It's from everlasting to everlasting. It's deeper than the deepest ocean. It's higher than the highest heavens. I want you to know His love and you'll be changed by His love. Think of Moses. Moses is leading the, the people of Israel through, from Egypt through the desert to, to the promised land of Canaan. And, and, and Moses is, is on the mountain with God. And he, he could pray for a lot of things, right? He needs a lot of things. He needs bread and water. He needs wisdom to lead these crazy people. What does he pray? He says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I want to know your glory, God. I want to see it. I don't want to just mail it in. I want, to, I want to know you. I want to experience you. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's on the screen. We all with unveiled faces. It's a reference to Moses actually. Are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. And are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're looking as, as, we're look, as if into a mirror, and we're beholding, we're looking at the glory of the Lord. And that's how we're changed. That's how we're transformed, by looking, by seeing the glory of the Lord. Some translations, it's a tough word to translate there, What it says looking as in a mirror. Some translations will say behold or gaze. But what, what the, the Greek word actually does mean is looking as if you're looking into a mirror. What does that mean? Looking as if you're looking into a mirror. Well, um, I'm not going to ask you to do this because you'll probably get hit. But imagine looking at the person you're sitting next to like you look at yourself in the mirror. I'm looking for all kinds of things when I'm looking in the mirror. Like, I'm looking for for things I didn't used to look for. For hairs in new places and rolls in new places. Oh, when did I get so fat? Like... Right, we're, we're, you're, you're, When you look in the mirror, you're examining. You're examining. It probably depends on your gender and your age. But we're looking carefully, looking for details. Any nose hair is showing today? That's how you become a Christian, and it's how you grow. It's how you change. It's how you're transformed by gazing, by looking at the glory of the Lord. That's how, that's how we change. That's how we, that's how we become more humble. You don't, you don't become humble by saying, well, I'm going to try hard to be humble today. I'm going to look out for proud thoughts. And it's not that you don't do that. Like you, of course you should do that. But it won't ultimately change you. It won't change your heart. It won't change the source of those proud thoughts. It's how you become more Courageous. You don't just on the lookout for cowardice thoughts and feelings. You are, but it won't that but realizing, oh, that was pride. Oh, that was cowardice. That won't change the source. What what'll change the source is looking at the glory of the Lord. What's the glory of the Lord? What's God's glory? Someone someone said that the glory of God is the going public of his holiness. It's the going out, it's the radiance, it's the it's the broadcast of all that he is. The the word glory, the word doxa means um, heaviness and weightiness, it, significance. That it's weighty, that it's significant. That God is significant. He's the most important one. He's glorious. He's he's it's connected to, with worship. And so what this is saying is go, on, go beyond believing that God is loving. Go beyond believing that God is wise. Go beyond believing that God is holy. But, but look at it. Be gripped by it. Be fascinated by it. Look at the details of it. So if you, if you believe that God's loving and wise, and yet you're you know, you're paralyzed by worry this morning, could it be that God's wisdom and God's love haven't really gripped you. That you don't feel the weight of it, of His wisdom and love. The significance of it. That we're not affected by it. Maybe you're worried about money. Maybe in your job you're as ruthless and as borderline dishonest as everyone else. And what's most weighty to you is getting ahead and making a buck. Being successful how you do in business has more weight to you than the glory of God. See, the purpose of prayer is not to just mail in our requests. The the main thing is to know who made you, who your savior is, who's most significant and how glorious, how great he is. And so prayer involves praying your fears and your worries and your resentments and your despondencies and praying them into the glory of God. So do you, mailing it in, mailing in the application, or are you go into the mountain and saying, "Lord, I need to sense your glory. I need it in my heart. That's primary. That's primary in prayer. We can ask for all kinds of things, but it's after a sense of God's glory. So then lastly, how to pray? You know, it might, it might seem like, oh, look at God's glory. What is, that seems so abstract. What does that even mean? If you try to just look at God's glory in the abstract, it's hard and discouraging. So my, the invitation, I believe, of this text, even, of, of these first five verses of John 17, is to look at the glory of God in the plan of salvation and the story of Jesus. Look at the glory of God in the plan of salvation and the story of Jesus. Moses, when Moses prayed to the Lord, Show me your glory, God had to hide him in in the cleft of a rock, and he says, I'll I'll let you see part, I'll let you see the back, my backside a little bit. My face, if you saw my face, if you saw my full glory, it would kill you and overwhelm you. So I'll let you see my backside as I pass by, and I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. But look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, on the screen here. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, the Creator God, Almighty God, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus Christ. What would have killed Moses is now visible for us. Our faces are unveiled. We can see God's glory, where? In the face of of Jesus and John seventeen one to five is the story. It tells John seventeen one to five tells us what was going on before the world existed. The Father and the Son were, were um, he says, now Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed, the Father and the Son were in this perfect relationship of love and glory. The Trinity. That's what healthy love relationships look like. Glorifying each other. Honoring each other. Showing each other what is great about the other. Bringing out the best in the other. That's what healthy love relationships look like. The Trinity. Some authors call it the the, the the divine dance as the as all the persons of the Trinity revolve around each other as and and just give glory to the other and give glory to the other and so the Father is glorifying the Son and the Spirit and the Son is glorifying the 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 Father and the Spirit and the Spirit is glorifying the Father and the Son and they're just they're revolving around each other in this beautiful dance of love and glory and power. He says before the world existed. We were together in this perfect and glorious love, but something happened. He says, you gave me authority over all flesh so that I may give eternal life to everyone you have given me. I've glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I had work to do, and I've glorified you in it. Why did I have work to do? Because something went wrong. Because you and I and the human race have decided to live for our own glory instead of God's glory. And the only way for the relationship to be restored was for Jesus to lose His glory, for Jesus to lose that glorious relationship that He had with the Father before the world existed. That He was cut off from it; He had to be cut off so we that we could be brought in. That's what the incarnation of Jesus is all about, right? That's what incarnation means—that the that God, who is Spirit, took on flesh. That. God the Son took on flesh, took on meat. That's what carne means, right? Chili con carne? This is God con carne, Jesus, with flesh on. God with flesh on. It's the incarnation that God became human, that God became a baby. God became vulnerable. God became weak. God became vulnerable. He could be hurt and he could be killed, and he was. And he was on the cross, and he says the only time he prays to his father and not doesn't call him father is on the cross where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I cut off? I'm cut off from this this glory that we've had with you before the world existed, and now I have it no more. Why? So that you and I could be brought in. He lost his glory so we could be brought in, so that we can become, as Peter says in his uh, letter to to the church, he says, that we could become participants in the divine nature. That we could be brought into that dance. That we could be brought into that love of God. And I want them to be with me, Father, as I, I so that they can know the love that I've had with you since before the world began. I want, to, I want them to be brought in, he says. And so look in the face of Jesus. Look in the face of Jesus. Do you want to see the glory of God? you want to see the glory of His love? Do you want to see the glory of His power? Do you want to see the glory of His wisdom? Do you want to see the glory of His holiness and perfection? Do you want to see the glory of His purity? Do you want to see the glory of His knowledge? Do you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus? And in the plan of salvation that existed before the world began for you and I to be brought back in And it's in prayer. It's in prayer we experience that. It's in prayer that Jesus experienced it. Luke 3.21, as Jesus was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I'm well pleased. And the the glorious thing, the miracle of miracles, is that you and I in prayer can hear the same thing. You're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I'm well pleased with you. I love you, I'm for you, and if I'm for you, who can be against you? I will cause all things to work together for good for you. You're my child, I will care for you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It's in prayer that we take those things in, and the, and the weight of them, the significance of them can hit us, and grip us, and transform us. And change us. So don't just mail it in. Don't treat prayer like your grocery list. Don't mail in your OSAP application. Show me your glory. So that I can glorify you. That's the prayer of Jesus. And that's the prayer he invites us into. Father, show me your glory. And I want to glorify you. Father, in heaven, would you work that kind of prayer into us as your people, as your children. Father, as we look around our culture, if we look around our nation, as we look around the Niagara region, Lord, we are not satisfied. We see moral decline. In many ways, we see a powerless church. We see family members and neighbors, co-workers, friends, lost and without you, and resistant to the gospel. And Father, you've promised and you've said in your word that the king's honor is in a multitude of subjects. And so, Father, gain much glory for the name of Jesus by bringing lost ones home. Father, there's many in this room that have sons and daughters who've turned their back on you. Bring prodigal children home for the glory of the name of Jesus. Bring conviction of sin across this region for the glory of the name of Jesus. Save our kids. Save our neighbors. Rescue our co-workers for the glory of the name of Jesus. Father, yours is the name that is above every name and you have given that name to Jesus. So show us your glory. We present ourselves to you, Father, as your vessels. You are the potter. We are the clay. Show us your glory and transform us as we see your great love for us. Give us boldness and courage as we see your love and your power. Give us faith as we see your wisdom and your love. Give us courage as we see your promises that are yes and amen for us. Give us peace Give us joy as we see your glory. Father, in these moments, as we respond to your word to us this morning, as we respond in community and in praise, show us your glory. Meet with us. Meet with us through the embrace of a friend. Meet with us through the embrace of of a stranger meet with us as we lift up your name and celebrate your grace and worship in the name of Jesus we pray amen every sunday morning we have what's called connection time we believe there's god's invites us to respond to his word in community and in worship and thanks and so these few moments you can grab some coffee out in the lobby